good morning, everybody. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn in them back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verse 6 today. Um, but as has been our habit, we'll start from verse 1, read all the way through verse 6, uh, and then get right into it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been going through this whole chapter, starting at the beginning, looking at the subject of love, uh, something that Jesus tells us in Matthew is the greatest thing that we can, we can accomplish, figure out, understand, be, and do. It is the most important thing to Jesus. When he summarized the law and the prophets, he said, at the end of the day, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. In a sense, he was saying, loving God with everything within you, the whole full part of the, the full parts of the human spectrum and personality, uh, and to love other people around you. If you can get that, you've, you've got me. You've understood me. You've understood the kingdom. So we've been taking this descriptive chapter about love by the Apostle Paul and just kind of slowing down, looking at all of its descriptions, all the things that he says it is and is not, um, just kind of taking our time, marinating in it and asking the Holy Spirit to just kind of uh, deepen those things in us individually and as a church. And so we're just going to take one more phrase at a time. Um, and if you're with me, what I'm going to do or what we, we can do right now as we've done in the past once or twice, is just going to ask us to uh, just be silent and still before the Lord. As the Psalms, uh, Psalms frequently tell us, to be still in the presence of God. I don't know where you came from this morning or what your weekend was like, but if you're, uh, if you're a typical human being, it might have been had its own ups and downs, ebbs and flows, and... Uh, I love, to, I love to receive some of the, the things that the psalmist tells us when they, they tell us to, to slow down, in a sense, and to be still before the Lord. That way we can, can really hear what he has to say. So let's just take a minute before I read the text, still our hearts before God, and just be aware of his presence together, and then I'll read this passage, and we'll get into it. Sound good? Let's do it. Let's come before the Lord together in, in stillness and silence. This is what the Spirit would have to say to the church today, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned even, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is God's word. God, teach us from your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend, and this is the weekend that we typically, uh, historically speaking, celebrate the working man or working woman. This is the weekend that we take a weekend off to go to the beach, uh, to have uh, Labor Day weekend parties, uh, to enjoy ourselves, to take some time off from work, to remember our labor and to remember our work. Before uh, I looked that up on Wikipedia some time ago, I thought it was actually about my wife for the longest time, Labor Day. But it's, uh, it's about a different kind of labor. It's, a, it's about a lot of people working and sweating uh, uh, to, pay, to pay the bills and to pay the rent uh, and to have a happy life. And as I, I think of this, and especially our history in Santa Barbara and our love for parties and celebrations and parades and we have those things for just about any possible reason. We love to celebrate, it seems. Um, I think of this text in which Paul says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Think of those things because rejoicing, at least in Paul's understanding, is very close to what we mean by celebration. Uh, it's that sense that we are gathering with people with this common understanding, this, uh, this, this common celebratory spirit. Rejoicing uh, means literally to sympathize in gladness over something. It can also mean to congratulate someone else. You are taking part in their joy by congratulating them. It can mean rejoicing with or participating in the happiness of, of someone else. In other words, it means, uh, to use our vernacular, it means to celebrate. And Paul refers to a couple things. He says uh, there, there are at least two things that a person might find themselves celebrating. There's a million things, but in Paul's, uh, for the purpose of Paul's argument, there's two things that he wants to talk about. And you can find yourself celebrating on either one side of, of the fence. One is, he says, wrongdoing. Uh, certainly anything from sin to making mistakes or uh, misfortune, but it can also mean some deeper systemic things like injustice. When Paul says wrongdoing, he's covering the, the full spectrum of things that could go wrong. Everything from personal individual sin to large uh, corporate injustices. Things that happen that are not good. He says we can, we can celebrate those things even without moving our mouths. We can rejoice in them. And what he means here is that we can approve of these things. That, when, that even if we don't say anything, there might be this sense of elation in our hearts in the same way that like Labor Day weekend hit and you were like just toiling through your work week. It was at the end of the Friday you're about to hop in the car and you're like, oh, this is three-day weekend. Yes! You know that feeling that just like wells up inside of you? You start doing a dance as you're leaving the, the workplace? It's that sense of just happiness and elation. Only this time it's over something wrong being done. Uh, 
an exa- uh, there's a few examples of this, just to jog your memory. Uh, it could be when you think of someone that you don't like who gets something that they deserve. Maybe, maybe they get hurt. Maybe they get fired. Maybe they get the what for. Maybe something happens to them, and in your mind, you're like, I told you so. Uh, either way, it's that sense of like uh, something that you wouldn't want happening to you is happening to someone else, but you feel good about it. You feel justified over it. You feel just slightly giddy. Paul says this is not love. Uh, it, can, it can come in other forms too. Think of gossip. Uh, what is gossip? But it is speaking about the ill or wrongdoing happening to another. Uh, gossip can be true. It can be something bad happening to someone. You might be representing the facts correctly, but if you're saying something behind someone's back that will in effect ruin or hurt their reputation in any way, it's gossip. Uh, If you're spreading things about them that are not true, that's slander. Uh, This is shop room talk, you know, uh, behind closed doors with your friends, uh, with your prayer meeting or whatever, whatever you want to couch it in. It's when you're speaking with ill motives in order to, uh, uh, or in such a way that it actually harms someone's reputation. This would count as uh, rejoicing in wrongdoing. It's that gossip, uh, that feeling of endorphins that we get when we, we kind of dive into someone else's drama. Uh, and it might even come from some good uh, intentions. Maybe you've got drama of your own. You're like, I'm sick of my own drama. I want some other people's drama. I want to he- feel some other people's pain. Um, but still, that is uh, perhaps rejoicing in wrongdoing. Uh, it could be Uh, as we like to call it, a means to an end. You might have to do something that really hurts somebody else, but you're doing it for uh, a good purpose. At least that's maybe how you justify it in your mind. These might be some examples of what it would mean to rejoice in wrongdoing. Uh, What Paul seems to be saying here is that's, that's never coming from a sense of love. Love itself is never happy about someone else's misfortune even though we sometimes are, which is the hard thing, I think, about this passage is Paul doesn't say Chris Lazo uh, is patient and kind. Chris Lazo is not rude or irritable. I think Paul, if he knew me, he'd have a few things that he would want to say to me. Uh, But Paul says it right. He says, love is not any of those things, and God is love. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we want love. We want to be purged of things like this. Uh, Because we know that some of the biggest problems that we deal with, some of the snowball effects that end up becoming the biggest problems that we deal with come from little, little specks that roll down that hill and turn into snowballs. Uh, Things like rudeness and irritability and untouched, undealt with resentment, impatience, things that are not a reflection of this Jesus that we, we follow. They can they can go awry and just turn into to something altogether different. As a replacement of rejoicing over wrongdoing, Paul doesn't skip a beat. He says, love, rather than rejoicing in wrongdoing, rather than rejoicing in people's misfortune, in injustice, in evil, in sin, in gossip, uh, love rejoices with the truth. Now, when he speaks about the truth, 
I think he can, he, he's referring to at least four things. When we speak about the truth, some of you might be saying, what is the truth? And I think if we were to look at the way that Paul speaks about the truth, there's at least four things. I just wanna give us these four things and call it a day. Uh, the, the first thing is he would certainly mean that to rejoice in the truth means that anything that is not of the truth means that we must counter it with what is true. So things like injustice, things that we've brought up from time to time, exposing that which is unjust. If you look throughout the scriptures, truth is often pictured as the antithesis of injustice. It's the opposite. Wherever injustice, uh, excuse me, wherever justice is, God also seems to picture, especially through the prophets, truth also being and righteousness. Uh, think of Psalm 45, verse 4. This is a description of the Most High God. In your majesty, he rides forth victoriously, speaking of Yahweh, God. In the cause of truth, humility, and justice, let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. And you see those two things pictured together. So what does it mean to rejoice in the truth in this case? If we are desiring love, what might that look like? I think at the very least, it means speaking truth to power in order to pursue a just cause. There are going to be times when Christians need to do that. We need to uh, risk losing friends and li- uh, risk losing popularity in order to speak to things that are pushing people down. We're essentially speaking out on behalf, especially if you read Jesus and the rest of the Bible, speaking on behalf of the marginalized and the oppressed and the poor. Jeremiah 5.1, God says he was looking for one who does justice and seeks truth. You see those things coupled together uh, often. So to rejoice in the truth uh, might mean exposing injustices, knowing that God is a God of justice, and so we want to see his, his rule and reign spread. We want to see people set free from oppression. A second thing is uh, probably what most of us think when we think of the truth untruths, lies, uh, factual inaccuracies, all of that stuff. This is a, it's probably a hard thing for us, maybe more difficult than ever before. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, uh, but we live in an unprecedented age of information, right? Uh, we live in an age where we can get all the information. You want an answer to something? Just Google it. Information flooding into our lives at an unprecedented rate. And when I say unprecedented, I mean like never before. Around 4 million Google searches are conducted worldwide every minute. 6 billion Google searches every day. Information. And it's available. Around a billion websites have been, are published and in existence right now. Five and a half million English Wikipedia articles exist to this day. English only. And English Wikipedia averages about 650 new articles a day. That means people are writing new pages in an encyclopedia that used to have to go to the library to pick up. Awesome, scary at the same time. Two and a half million blog posts published every day on WordPress alone. And here's the thing. Anybody can publish information anytime they want. Let me take it a little step farther. Anyone can publish anything they want, right? I think we know this. 
the question we should be asking in a world of information as Christians wanting to navigate information with the truth, to rejoice in truth. How do we know if what we're reading or watchful is truthful and accurate? As Christians who rejoice in truth, who are to reflect truth and to reflect Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we have to be serious about this stuff. We have to take this seriously. Uh, this, this could happen in, uh, I kind of briefly brought it up a little while ago, but in something as casual as shop talk, uh, talking around the water cooler at work, uh, at the gym with your friends, in conversation over at dinner, the amount of conversations that happen and the things that we just blurt out. Uh, if we care about what love actually is, we would be people that are careful about the type of information that we uh, disseminate, making sure that what we're saying is accurate and truthful. That happens often uh, in gossip. And I know for myself, the temptation for me is in the moment, uh, I might be so, for, uh, for me specifically, I know sometimes I get caught up in the emotion of something that just happened, right? Some huge event happened in the world or someone did something in my family or in my close group and I immediately just want to talk about it. The problem with me is that I don't always know the full story in the two seconds that I just got upset about what happened. Um, and I often, I've, I've actually started uh, journaling some of these events in my own life and revisiting some of the times that I just blurted out stuff and almost without fail. Uh, I'm not a, st a, a, a stat guy, but I'm willing to bet that about 90%, maybe more, of uh, the things that I jump into and start just speaking freely about in the moment, uh, I end up changing after I just get some new information. A lot of it is like a different, a different side of the story. I can't tell you how many times I have gotten upset with someone in my life, whether it's a family member, my kids, uh, a, a, a person at work, a friend, uh, only to find out maybe a week later when I cooled off and actually asked them uh, what happened, that there, there was something uh, to the story that I didn't, I didn't take into account and I felt awful about it. And I just kind of either lashed into them, snapped at them, gave them the silent treatment, all those things that I'm trying not to do, did because I didn't, I didn't empathize or even understand what was going on. This is the type of thing that love does. It waits and it listens. It's slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. Um, it also happens, speaking about the unprecedented age of information, with just what we learn on the internet. Let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room, right? We, we get a lot of our information from the internet, maybe from television. And if we are people who believe in accuracy, if that's what truth entails, accuracy, that by speaking again about somebody, doesn't matter who it is, you are, you are addressing their reputation as a believer, either for good or for bad. Deuteronomy tells us that you have the power of life, I, I think it's the Proverbs, you have the power of life and death in your mouth. 
Uh, God said to Jeremiah the prophet, as a prophet, he had the ability to tear down cities or to, or to lift them up and to restore them with the words of his mouth. This is the power of all people, actually. But as Christians, we have to take that power seriously. You can tear people down. And if all of us are telling the same stories, and it turns out that story is false, we have really hurt somebody at the, on the opposite end of the story, whether it's a friend someone on the outskirts of one of our cliques, uh, someone in office, someone in the city, someone uh, at a different church, doesn't matter what it is, a family member. These things should be far from us. We should care about truth. That should mean at the very basic level, we should never share or gossip or talk about something unless we can verify it. I'm just gonna get a little real right now. Is that cool or should I not? No real. I don't know, unreal, half real, 50-50 real? I need some feedback here. Look, if you're going through Facebook and you see an article that is just really steaming you up, just check it out a little bit, right? Look at the source, super easy. I think we learned this in like grade school, I don't know. Just look at the source, where did it come from? Where are the sources that are backing this stuff up? And don't share something in the heat of the moment, only uh, uh, something that you only find in some offbeat source. Check out some mainstream sources. You may not trust mainstream sources, but they are a great way to verify if something is a true story. This works across all of life, actually, not just, not just social media. Uh, but this is a, probably a big one. Uh, if you read, for example, on reptiles at smokeweed.com, I don't know, for example, that a giant lizard blew up Alice Keck Park and was taking local politicians hostage, and you just have this urge to click share, you know? Don't do it before checking a mainstream source. If, in fact, there is a giant lizard just blowing away Alice Keck Park, it will probably be on another site or somewhere. Be slow, slow. This is what James tells us, slow to speak, slow to speak. I've never heard of a person, well, 99%, a person who got in trouble for speaking too slowly. I know for myself, I rarely pay the price for withholding my mouth. I can, however, share with you oodles of examples. Oodles? of examples where I have bitten my lip because I opened my mouth too quickly. I think we should extend the mouth to also our hands because of the age in which we live. Let's not be clickbait Christians. And you know, if I were to be honest with myself, it's often because of emotion for me. Emotion is not bad. I think we know that as a church by now. Uh, But we need to learn to process those emotions in a healthy way and to manage them. And part of that means sometimes we're in shock, we're in anger, we don't hear the full sp- story, uh, and in the heat of emotion, there's no time to verify, and we don't want to do it. But Paul said in Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, and a lot of other things, but let's just stay there. Whatever is true, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's love, let's love facts. Let's love truth. Let's not just spread stuff, right? Just to 
be the first ones to get it out there, to get the rush of endorphins. Let's care about it. Not just because God loves the truth, although that's good enough, but because the world is watching us as a church, as people who model Jesus. And I fear that if they see us gossiping too much, maybe we're too late on this, I don't know, God have mercy, spreading things that aren't true, uh, I fear that when we speak to them about the truth that does matter, it won't carry the, the, the clout that it could have. Third, Paul seems to be contrasting rejoicing with the truth over against rejoicing with wrongdoing. He's connecting them, saying instead of being known, it seems like, instead of being known as a person who rejoices in wrongdoing, by participating in it, by gossiping, by letting it go, by not speaking out. I want you to rejoice. I want you to be known for rejoicing in the truth. Uh, We could say it this way. Uh, We're to be known, maybe, by what we affirm, what God is doing in our lives, what he's expanding in his kingdom. We're to be known more by what we are for than what we are against. It almost seems like he's saying that. He's referring to a person that is known for engaging in good works rather than only complaining about what's wrong. Now, quick caveat. I just said in the first point, we are supposed to point out bad things. We are supposed to point out injustices. We are supposed to point out deceptions. We are supposed to speak the truth in love, and that's gonna at times mean conflict and confrontation. We're not to be okay with tolerating things that are not true, whether spiritually or culturally. There's gonna be those times. I think that what he's hinting at here is not that we're not supposed to speak out against things that aren't true, but that if someone on the outside of the church were to look at us at a glance, and all they saw were things that we hated, things that we disagreed with, things that we were uh, sick of, things that we uh, were tired of, things that we were lamenting and complaining about and didn't know what we were uh, excited about and passionate for, what gave us life, what drove us, what our purpose was, maybe we've, we've veered a little bit away from the, the potency of the love of God because I think there would be both, right? There would be calling out works of darkness, but there would also be calling out the expansion of God's kingdom in all of its forms. So I'll leave it right there. The fourth one, oh, just to give us a summary. What does it mean to rejoice in the truth? It means at least calling out things that are wrong, injustices on a broad level or on a personal level. It means combating lies with true statements, being careful about what we say, It means being known by what we are for. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, it means ultimately the gospel story of Jesus Christ. Why all of us are here right now. I say this because truth in the Bible, this is so fun, truth in the Bible doesn't merely refer to the disseminating of accurate information. Uh, it, it, It should include that as we just talked about. But it also seems to mean more. Uh, it refers often in the Bible to the true story of God as seen in Christ. I'm talking about the gospel. One of the great depictions of it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
where uh, Paul goes into uh, the gospel story and he basically ends by saying, this is God's purpose in the cosmos to take everything that was broken, everything that's unjust, everything that doesn't work right, everything that is crying, everything that is suffering, everything that is distorted, everything that is, uh, 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 that is, is hurting and to make it renewed, restored, and beautiful again, uniting it in Jesus Christ and the way that God decided to do that was ultimately through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that one swell movement that we have been celebrating for thousands of years, this is God's plan. This is how God is gonna do it. That's why Jesus told us to take the Lord's Supper, saying, I want you to remember the plan and the one who's gonna accomplish the plan, the one who already brought the accomplishment So remember me, remember my body that was broken, remember my blood that was shed. In fact, Paul even goes so far as to say, every time you take of the bread and take of the cup, you proclaim the power of his death until he comes. Isn't that incredible? In other words, it's not just a historical event, we're living in that event, that reality. It is a present reality. And Paul and other writers often use the word truth as shorthand for that story. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, In other places, when people are not living in a way that is aligned with that story, they're not living in the truth, they're living in sin. For example, when Peter, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the pillars of the church is actually He's committing racism, racial prejudice. And he's actually, because he's so influential as a leader, he's pulling other Jewish leaders with him. And they're actually distancing themselves from Gentiles. And Paul calls them out. And what does he say in Galatians 2.14? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, then he's had a few things to say to Peter, good old Pete, who quickly repented. Second John uh, chapter one, verse four, listen to this. It says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. It's not just a historical event, it's a present reality that shapes our life. We live by this truth. Uh, Third John four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You, you get it. Rejoicing in the truth means calling out, uh, calling out injustices, calling out corruption. It means getting the facts right. It means speaking truth and loving uh, truth, uh, true statements and true information. Uh, Integrity, we can call it. It also means uh, being known by what you are for, not merely what you are against, but ultimately, and I think even more important than all of those other three, I think those other three flow out of this one, it means to be rejoicing in the truth means to have your life gladly shaped by the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be an apprentice of Jesus. That's ultimately you saying, I've seen the truth of the story of Jesus and I'm surrendering my life to be shaped, conformed, and confronted by that. Wherever there are lies in here, wherever there are uh, 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 disformed areas in my life, I want the gospel to reshape that so that I can be more like Christ. Gospel story. 
So simply put, what does love do? Love rejoices in and celebrates the light of Jesus shining forth. It loves the kingdom of God coming. It loves and desires to celebrate his reign. It looks forward to his kingdom coming. Brothers and sisters, does your heart burning for that kind of thing? I know we have a billion things to do in this rat race of a city just to make it, just to pay the bills. That's okay. We're trying to preach margin and rest and how to survive, not just survive, but to thrive. But in the middle of that, do you, is there room in your heart to burn inside for the truth of the gospel to take over the city? How many, how many people do you know, each of you, do you know that are now condemned in their sin? Walking around, they are, they are outside of the will of God. And apart from the message of the gospel, they will die in their sins. How many people do you know like that right now? How many of your family members are outside of the realm of God? Do, do you, does that bother you? If it doesn't, no guilt trips here, but rather a call to you, Christian. You are saved today because someone burned over you. Romans chapter 10 tells us that it's by the name of Jesus Christ that everybody is saved. It is by repenting and following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that everyone is saved. And then he goes on to say, but how are they going to be saved if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? How are they going to preach if someone isn't sent? I mean, Paul isn't talking about a podium preacher. He's talking about you. How are these people going to hear? Unless someone gets past their embarrassment or their fear or their discomfort and begins to preach the gospel. Now, I bet if some of you took that risk, whether now or in the next few weeks or in the next few months, I'll bet some people would reject you because the Bible says that they will. But the Bible also says that some people will be cut to the heart, and they'll get saved. This is in your lap. Followers of Jesus, if they're full of love, are known for loving the true way of Jesus, wanting people to be saved, set free, and following him. Dear God, give me a burden for the lost again. Give us a burden for the lost. This will inevitably result in conflict with, with people who disagree with you. That's where we need to be compelled by real love. Love that doesn't say, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to lose a friend. I don't want to lose my job promotion. I don't want to be the weird guy or the weird woman. But love that says, if I don't do it, nobody will. And... I have the power of the Holy Spirit who promised to change hard hearts. What if I said something and it worked? People, there are a billion Christians in the world today. It works. I shudder to think at what would happen if a church this size took some risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we would, I know 
people would get saved in your house, in your dorms, in your places of recreation. But I digress. That wasn't my point. But it is now. Um, it's hot in here, huh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what if I just stop? I'm just going to stop. We'll sing a, a little bit and just recalibrate our minds to God, but I'm just going to stop with this. Uh, just get us out here a little early just because it's so hot. I, this point is pretty simple. I had like three pages left, but whatever. Uh, let me <laughs> Who would I be if I didn't have a few extra pages? I just want to end with this, this, this short story in the Bible. It was when Jesus was standing trial before Pilate. And Jesus is testifying to Pilate. He's witnessing to him about himself. And he basically says, anyone who believes in the truth is walking in the life. And I think, of the, I was, think of the sheer beauty of this, this event. Jesus is the truth incarnate. He's truth in bodily form. Can you imagine being in Pilate's shoes? And the truth is standing in front of you. And he's saying, anyone who walks in the truth, who lives in the truth, finds life. And he's just like this, beaten, bloodied, tired. And what does Pilate say? What is truth? And then he hands him off to be crucified. I want to end with that. Because perhaps you're here today asking the same question. What is truth? Maybe you're confused. Maybe you don't know the right way to go. Maybe you're struggling even with this. Maybe, you don't, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you don't even know if you're a Christian. Maybe you're like trying it out, but you're just struggling with all of these details, all of these facts, all of these stories, all of these different religions, uh, all of these different facets of life, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And I want to leave you with this, that the same Jesus who stood and confronted Pilate and the world didn't just stop there, but he would later send his promised Holy Spirit, who he would tell his disciples would lead them into all truth. Our only hope today is for the Spirit of God to open our eyes to see Christ as the truth. There is, I give up right now, there is absolutely nothing I could preach or say that will change a human person's heart. What we need today is the Holy Spirit. If you already have the Holy Spirit today, you should pray for the Holy Spirit upon your friends today. You should pray it upon your family. You should pray it for this town that is confused and dark and lost. What we need today is more than a program. What we need today is more maybe than even a sermon. What we need today is an outpouring of the spirit of the living God to come upon this beautiful city that is called, supposed to be called by his name. That is our only hope, and it's your only hope too. Some of you might be sitting here and you've been going through this entire sermon series going, that ain't me, I'm fine. Love is patient, love is kind, I'm patient and I'm kind. Fast forward, well, I'm not rude, I'm actually the nicest person I've ever met. I only hang out with myself, but I'm pretty nice to me. 
And you're going through this entire series going, ah, I'm not that, ah, I'm not that. Well, I'm kind of that, but not as bad as this person sitting next to me who didn't even shake my hand during the meet and greet. And you're going through all of this stuff justifying how good of a person you are. And you've missed the point. The endless reservoirs of love are available to people who will give up trying to be good and will start to embrace how broken they are to receive healing from the only healer that can bring it to your soul. To you I say, stop trying. Stop trying with me and start receiving of the endless grace of God. And as we receive, let's just pray, God, give us more. That's all I've got for today. I'm sorry. But let's start right there. Let's ask him, for truth to invade our hearts, and let's begin praying for other people. Heavenly Father, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. For those of us that are pretending, who are still living in sin, who are still living in a way that is rebellious against you, who are trying to live a good life but are really living for ourselves but add you to the picture as a supplement to a cocktail of just a bunch of other things that are also important to us, I pray for the light of the truth of the gospel to pierce through the darkness, through the shell, through the armor that we have put around our hearts. Open our hearts, God. We want more of you today. We ask that as we come to you, maybe some of us with nothing left to give except our confusion and our rebellion and our sin. We thank you that that's just the sort of sacrifice that you desire and that you will not turn away. God, save us this day from playing church any longer, if that's some of us, if that's me, if that's us. God, let the gospel of the kingdom of your dear son pervade us at the deepest possible level that people around us might be saved, but that we saved people might taste again and see that the Lord is good. We come before you now to worship you, to take of the sacraments, to receive prayer, and we ask that you would meet us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.